There are just two brief scriptures uh, this morning uh, as we think about praise and gratitude together. The first is from Genesis 29, verse 35. It's about Leah who has had another child uh, through Jacob, and this is what it says. Uh, And she conceived again, and this time she bore a son. And she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named her son Judah. And then the other scripture is one we've already read this morning. It's the first verse of Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul, O let all that is within me, in my inmost being, praise his holy name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. I don't know this for a fact, but I'm just I'm guessing uh, this morning that when it comes to the children who were baptized, William uh, Prescott and Ruby June and and Bennett Pepper, that they didn't just find their names on the Internet. My assumption is that there's a real significance uh, to the name and to their family. Uh, at least I know that's that way in my family. They um, informed me early on that I was named after my grandfather. And I have three sons, and the oldest one carries the name of my father, and the middle one carries my name, and the youngest one carries the name of my brother. Names have real significance, I think, uh, for many of us. It's even more so, though, in the Hebraic uh, culture. I remember being on a trip to Israel some years ago, and our bus driver, Egal, found out that he was going to be a grandfather. So he told us. So all 51 Americans on the bus asked him, I think, the same question, which is, What did they name him? What did they name the grandson? And he looked at us like we were from Mars. And he said, well, we don't name the child right away. We pray about the name for seven days. And then on the eighth day, the child is given uh, its name. Because names have to do with destiny. And names have to do with character and with hope uh, for uh, the children. And you can see that in the Bible when God comes and changes Abram's name to Abraham because Abraham is going to end up being the father of many nations. Or God, after Jacob wrestles with the angel, is going to change Jacob's name to Israel because Israel's life and journey in so many ways, um, uh, Jacob's life and journey typifies what Israel has been and what they will go through. Uh, Names have a real uh, significance. And so we come to the scripture this morning, and Leah has a son. And she says, this time I will praise the Lord. So she names him Judah, which means I will praise the Lord. And that name has significance. I found out when I did a little research a couple weeks ago that the name of God's people, the Jews, comes from Judah. And so uh, the Jews are to be people who praise and give thanks to God. Marvin Wilson has written a couple of wonderful books, one we use on Sunday night on exploring the Jewish roots of Jesus. And he says this, he says, to be a Jew is to be a person who praises God and give thanks to God. And he quotes the ancient sages who said that a Jew should praise God at all times and give thanks in everything and that their life should be a song of praise and thanksgiving live to God. That's what it is to be a Jew was to praise God and to give thanks to God. Some of you may remember a couple of years ago we had an expert in this area, Lois Verberg, come and speak. And she used as her scripture Paul's admonition that we should pray without ceasing. And she asked how that could be. How can you always pray? And she talked about the Jewish practice back uh, to the days of Jesus and continuing among Orthodox to this day where they give thanks to God at least a hundred times a day. 
from the time that they wake up in the morning, they give thanks that they're awake, to all sorts of activities that they enjoy, are blessings that come their way, and they bless God for them. In fact, you, if you've ever seen Fiddler on the Roof, you may remember that's uh, Tevye's situation. He says to the, ra- the local rabbi, is there a blessing, is there a praise for the sewing machine? And the rabbi, you remember, tells him, there's a praise for everything. Everything that happens is an opportunity to give thanks and to be grateful to God. And as I've told you before, there's even a prayer of thanksgiving that you can say after you've gone to the bathroom. And that might strike us as funny unless you've ever had trouble with that. And then you start to understand why we praise and give thanks. And that's what it is. That is to be a Jew is to be a person about praise and about thanksgiving. And so as Christians, it's only fair, I think, to say that's in our DNA. We are also to be a people who continually give thanks and praise to God. And what's interesting to me, and Donna Bellamy pointed this out at our text meeting the other day, is if you look at the tribe of Judah, the tribe that's named I Will Praise God, look at the leading role that they play in the Old Testament and even in our New Testament. It's the tribe of Judah that always goes in the front when they move into battle, when they move into new territory. It's the tribe of praise that leads the way. They're the first ones into the promised land. And, of course, when the Messiah Jesus comes along, he comes from the tribe also of Judah and is called in the scripture the Lion of Judah, and you can see that on the front cover of the bulletin this morning. It's to me, it seems fair to say that it is praise and gratitude, praise and thanksgiving that will always lead the way in a life of faith. So this week I thought about some areas where praise and thanksgiving might lead the way. And this is not an exhaustive list. This is just a few things that occur to me looking at Scripture and looking at life. And the first thing is, it seems to me pretty clear in the Bible that praise and thanksgiving lead the way in a time of trial. One of the interesting things is the Jews arrange their Bible differently than we Christians do. It's the same Old Testament, but, but different order. And the last book for them in the Bible, the last thing they want to say is the book of Second Chronicles. And in Second Chronicles chapter 20, the people are going into battle. But it's interesting, when they go into battle, they get the praise and worship leaders are out front. And the the battle starts with thanksgiving and gratitude and praise to God. And then the soldiers, the tribes, are uh, behind it. Uh, It explains what Paul and Silas, if you turn forward to the New Testament in Acts chapter 16, Paul and his friend Silas are uh, in jail in Philippi. They've got shackles on their feet. Uh, It's a pretty uh, good bet that they're not being treated very nicely there in prison. And at midnight, what we find is they're doing a very Jewish thing. In the midst of their prison and their shackles, they are praising God and giving thanks. And it's so stunning to their pagan captors that they want to know more about Paul and about Silas. But praise, it seems to me, one of the things it does is it leads the way when we get in a tough situation that praise and thanksgiving ought to be the thing that goes out front. Another way I think it leads uh, the way, and I, I never would have seen this on my own. I had to have help is that actually praise and gratitude lead the way to actually coming to, to faith in God. And I got this uh, from uh, one of the great rabbis of the 20th century, Abraham Joshua Hessel, and he put it very succinctly. He said, praise precedes faith. He went on to add, first we sing, then we believe. And I thought about that for a moment, and I realized that fits the rest of the Bible. God gives you commands, and you carry them out, and you don't say, well, first let me understand it and get it all down, and then I'll decide if I'm going to do it or not. What happens is God God gives the command, you do it, and then all of a sudden you begin to figure out 
what's going on and what God wants. And it's the same way. We act in faith and gratitude, and then all of a sudden you do that enough, and your faith begins to grow. And so uh, our, our praise and thanksgiving actually precedes the growth in our faith. I think another thing that I've seen praise do is it paves the way for experiencing God's presence. I think we'd all agree that God is present, that God is, is with us, and that God is everywhere. But we don't always recognize and experience that presence. And one of the things the Bible says is that gratitude and praise kind of opens the door for us to experience God's presence. A very famous psalm, Psalm 22, puts it this way in verse 3. It says that God is enthroned on the praises of God's people. Now, I don't think it means if we don't give thanks to God, God isn't going to be king because God is. But there's something about God's reign in our life that really takes effect when we give thanks to God. But another translation is also pretty fun of this passage. It's God inhabits the praises of his people. Praise God and give God thanks long enough and you'll begin to experience God's presence in a tangible way. Again, from the last book in the Hebrew Bible, Second Chronicles in chapter 5, they're praying and, and worshiping and giving thanks to God one day when suddenly the temple is filled with the cloud of God, the glory of God's presence called the Shekinah. And it is so overwhelming that they have to evacuate. The priests can't even do their job anymore. God's presence is so strong. But God's presence or the awareness of that presence followed the praise and thanksgiving. So I think thanksgiving leads the way for us to have a deeper experience of God being with us. If sometimes you feel that God is distant, uh, one thing you could do is complain about it. Another thing you can do is begin to be more grateful and thankful for the things that God has done and see if the distance doesn't close somewhat. And then finally, a thing that I see all the way through Scripture and in my life today is that gratitude and praise actually shapes our character. It is probably the major factor in helping us become more like God. And St. Augustine figured this out way back in the 4th century when he made this observation. We imitate whom we adore. We imitate whom we adore. So in other words, spend enough time worship, praising, and, and thanksgiving to something, and you'll start to take on the characteristics. And we see that in our kids, don't we? If, if they like a certain a- athlete, then they're going to want the shoes that the athlete wears. If, if they like an actress or actor, they're going to look to see the styles that they're wearing, and they're going to want to wear the same style. And, and that comes natural to us. Well, one of the ways that we start to imitate God and become more like God is by giving God praise and thanksgiving. The Bible states this actually in the negative in Psalm 115. It's talking about people that worship idols made of wood and stone. And the psalmist points out that these idols don't have mouths that can speak. They don't have ears that can hear. They don't have eyes that can see. They can't do anything. They're made of stone and wood. And then the punchline in verse 8. And those who worship them become just like them. The greatest way to kill your own life and faith is to start giving thanks and gratitude to someone other than God. And to put your focus on something more than what you would put your focus upon God. That that, that is maybe the leading way to shape our character in life. And to me the classic example is Moses. Moses goes on, on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. Do you remember that? Anybody remember how long he was up there? It's a biblical number. 40. Hey, excellent. 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of God, giving thanks and praising. And what happens? He comes down from the mountain and he is so radiant. He is so changed. He is so different that they tell him, put on a mask. We can't take it. Put on a veil. 
There's something about praise and gratitude that brings us, I think, into God's presence in such a way that it just shapes and changes our character. So I really think that praise and and gratitude lead the way. Thanksgiving just goes before us in life. Now, now how does it exactly work? I'm not sure. I've got a couple guesses as maybe why it works that way. The first thing is this. I think when I am in praise and thanksgiving, that one of the things that happens to me is I get my focus off me and my problems to God and God's power and presence and God's solutions. I know you've probably done this before. You can take anything that's small and you can put it in front of your eye, even a penny or a dime, and pretty soon that's all you'll see. It's just what's right in front of your eye. But if I take this microphone and back it off several feet and I put my focus on something else, then the microphone begins to take the right shape and it is in right perspective. And sometimes when I'm not involved in thanksgiving and gratitude, my problems get right in front of my eyeballs. And that's all I can see. And the only way I get any perspective on them is to focus on something else to bring them into the right place where they should be in my field of vision. And what does that for me is to give praise and thanksgiving to God. Then suddenly I realize my problem's not that big and God's a lot bigger. And in gratitude, as we talked about last week, I can begin to think of all the ways that, that I've had previous problems that I thought were overwhelming and God moved in that. And so things get in proper perspective when I take my focus off me and I begin to put it on God. I remember reading a pastor several years ago. He said, you know, the one gift I'd love to give people when they come into my office and they're really struggling, he said, um, is I wish I could give them a vision of what it looks like in heaven right now. And I think that's what Revelation is trying to do. Give them a vision of God being continually praised and people being very grateful. And you get the sense that things, that things work out. That our problems, while big to us, actually are right-sized when we get the appropriate vision of God on the throne. And I think for me, praise and gratitude just kind of does that. It gets my focus off me, puts it on God. And then finally... I think it's fair to say that in praise and thanksgiving, I get new possibilities opened up in my life. I get, um, I get an expanded vision of God, an expanded vision of life. We were talking about the scripture on Tuesday. One of the things our, our worship director, Ruth Ann, said is talked about some of the things that we learn and know about singing. And one of them is about when you sing and when we're praising God, the kind of increased oxygen flow that we experience. And then she said this. And apparently it's on YouTube, but it's a scan of the brain when people are singing. And it's like lit up like a Christmas tree. All sorts of creativity and and activity takes place when we turn around and praise in Thanksgiving. So one of the things I think is true is that when I give thanks and gratitude and praise to God, I have like a whole new world of possibilities that are open for me. And I think that's maybe how praise begins to work and function. Yes, we praise God because that's our DNA and we're supposed to, but the byproducts are tremendous for us in terms of our growth and our perspective in life. But you might be wondering, you know, I've had something bad happen to me. Was I really supposed to give thanks for that? And I would say to you, no. There is all the difference in the world between giving thanks for something and giving thanks in the midst of something. This is what Paul says to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Give thanks in all circumstances, for that is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Not give thanks for all circumstances. Bad things are bad things. I'm not saying they're not. 
But what I'm saying is that our DNA is even in the midst of the bad things, we don't lose our focus on God. We praise God in the midst of all circumstances and give thanks and then see pretty interesting possibilities start to open up when we do that. My favorite story of this, um, some of you may be familiar with, it's a story from uh, Elie Wiesel, who was a Jew who um, survived the concentration camp. And he said one night in the concentration camp, everybody pretty well had it. And they decided they were going to put God on trial for his unfaithfulness to the Jews, to his people. So they appointed a prosecutor and they appointed somebody for the defense. And the prosecutor begins to make his case and starts going back to the Assyrians 700 years before Jesus who uh, tortured the Jews and just did unspeakable things to them and and burned and pillaged and and, and destroyed uh, a large part of Israel. And then next exhibit is the Babylonians. The Babylonians about 600 years before Jesus who continued to keep the people in slavery. Then there are the Romans. And what the Romans have managed to do (coughs) is the Romans have managed to scatter the Jewish people all over the world. About 100 years after Jesus, there's no Israel anymore. And they're carted off everywhere. And then the Middle Ages, depending on where the Jews lived and at what time, there were certain indignities. (coughs) And then finally, they get to Spain in the 15th century, the Inquisition. And Jews are tortured and killed for not converting from Judaism. And they get to the Holocaust. And they all are experiencing that. So the prosecutor is making his case. And suddenly the one who's moderating the trial stops and says to the prosecutor, thank you. But gentlemen, we must stop now. We must stop the proceedings It is time for our prayers. And they went all off to worship and to give thanks and blessing for God. It is always, it is always for the people of God. Time for our prayers.